Today I have the privilege to preach from you from God's Word. The passage today comes from Luke 2, chapter 2, verse 22 to 38. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 38. This is the Word of God. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who, opened, who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Amen. Christmas is over. And I know as I'm saying that, it's almost too soon to say it. Because I know for some people, a lot of people, Christmas is the best time of the year. And, and I was reluctant to open this way, but Christmas is over. And as I'm saying it, there's a bit of a sadness that comes with it. But that's not the case for what we see here in today's passage. You know, Christmas, it is sad to think that Christmas is over because, and as a side note, I'm not the biggest fan of Christmas. And what I mean by that, I'm not the biggest fan of how it's celebrated. And one of the things that I, I have a little bit of a qualm with, and I, I find it a little sad, is that Christmas is not so much Christmas Day, but Christmas, how we celebrate it, is the month and the weeks and the days leading up to it. And as much as you guys know, as, as well as, you know, as you guys should know, what we see around us is the celebration of putting up the lights and getting, you know, the tree and, and preparing for getting presents and all of the music and, and hoping for a white Christmas and all of that. It just leads up to this crescendo of a moment. And when Christmas Day comes, it's amazing. And you guys experienced it yesterday. But then as high as the highs can be, the day after Christmas sometimes is just that much lower. 
because the noise is so much louder during the days leading up to Christmas. Sometimes the silence can be too silent the next day. And I find that to be sad because that's not what Christmas is. In today's passage, we see that's not what Christmas is because in today's passage, we see two stories of people who the time period after Christmas to them is the most happiest day of their life. So my hope is that as we look at this story, look at this passage, that we may see why they are so happy and perhaps what we can gather from them and to see what the Bible teaches us about how we should approach the time after Christmas as well. So before we get into it, let us pray once more. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask, God of lights, that you may send your light to us today, right now. Open up our hearts so that we may read your word with our eyes, but also listen with our hearts. Our hearts are reluctant. Our hearts want to stray from you. So Father, we ask now for your help and your Holy Spirit to guide us, to expose in our hearts the sin in our hearts, but at the same time, God of all comfort, comfort us with your word as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have three points, and I'll just let, them, uh, let you know so that it can help you track. The first point is, is that we are all waiting for something. We are all waiting for something. The second point is, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? I'm sorry. The second point is that we don't have to wait anymore. So the first point is we're all waiting for something. Second point is we don't have to wait anymore. And the final point, as I look at Anna's story, as we look at Anna's story, we're going to see what is our appropriate response now that we don't have to wait anymore. So the first point, we don't have to wait anymore. Here's the context of our story, right? The passage right before we read during Christmas Eve, the angels come down to the shepherds, reveal that Jesus is born, right? They're celebrating. They go and see him. So the narrative is about Jesus being born. Today in our passage, what we see is the episode right after that. So Jesus, you know, we know that Jesus is about 40 days old because they said there, it's a time of purification. And this is an allusion to the, the Mosaic law back in Leviticus 12. And after the baby is circumcised, after 33, 40 days, the baby is brought to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. So imagine Jesus, right? He's not a, he's not a newborn kind of maybe, I guess, 40, 40 days old, maybe still a newborn, little baby Jesus, he's going to the temple with his family. And what we see is Luke is not only showing you that the family is coming to the temple, but as they're coming to the temple, there's two other people that are at the temple at the same time. So it's almost, I don't know if you guys know these movies where it's, they have different kind of narratives going on, and near the end, it just converges, and it shows you how they all overlap. So it's kind of like that. That's what's going on. And the two people that we see in our passage today is Simeon and Anna. Now, Simeon and Anna, they have their differences, as we see in the narrative, right? Their backstories are a little bit different, but they do have a lot of similarities. And, one of the, and a couple of the similarities is that they have a backstory that is mentioned and is filled with sorrow. Number two, both Simeon and Anna are perceived in the passage to be very religious, Right, Simeon is a devout and righteous man, and Anna, it tells us that for 84 years, she never leaves the temple. Or in other words, she goes to the temple every day to worship. Very devout. And both of them are also older. 
But the most important similarity that we're supposed to see is that both of them are waiting for something. Right? We have this idea that they're waiting for, so for Simeon, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And for Anna, she's waiting for the, uh, the redemption of Jerusalem. And it's almost like a bookend on both, uh, you know, both ends of these stories to show that they're one story, one idea, but also that the answer to this waiting for both of them, the answer can be found in the middle. And we'll get to that in point two. Now, to unpack what it means for them to wait, the question begs, right, the, the first point, what are they waiting for? And perhaps while we unpack what they're waiting for, maybe we can ask ourselves, what are we waiting for? Now, what are they waiting for? Simeon and Anna, but just the Jewish people in general. In between the Old and the New Testament, it's called the intertestimonial period, is 400 years, is marked with 400 years of silence. Right? You reread the Old Testament, it's all about God talking to his people, most of the time telling them how they're sinning and how they should turn from their ways. And time and time again, he talks to his people, and then at the end of the Old Testament, there's silence. 400 years. So in one sense, we can think they're waiting for God to talk again. They're waiting for God or his prophet to come again. That may be true, but that's not what they're waiting for. Maybe what they're waiting for is the promise that God gave to David a thousand years from this time period, where he promises David that from David there will come someone, a Messiah, to save his people. And even though that's true, and I'm sure they're waiting on that too, I don't think that's what they're waiting for either. What they're really waiting for, what I think they're really waiting for, is that we just, Mercy Hill just recently uh, finished a sermon series in Genesis. And in Genesis, after the, the sin of man and the fall, as bleak as it is, there's one passage, it's, it's sometimes easy to miss, but we went over it and we were taught that in Genesis 3.15, God gives man a promise that from Eve an offspring will come to crush the serpent's, serpent's head. In other words, there will come someone who will save pe the people, all people, not just of death, physical death, but of spiritual death, separation from God. I think that is more accurate to think of what they're waiting for. So it's not a 400-year wait. It's not a 1,000-year wait. But at the soul of souls, not only for Simeon and Anna, but for all people, we're all waiting for the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. So it's not 400 years, it's not 1,000. It's a waiting from the beginning of time. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, it mentions that. It's not just Simeon and Anna, it's not just Israel, but all of creation is groaning and waiting. What about us? Does that apply to us? Maybe we might not think in our head, I'm waiting for something. But the Bible does teach us that our souls are waiting. We are groaning. In our sin, we are experiencing sorrow and in different ways from Simeon and Anna, but all of us, whether we're believers or non-believers, Christians or not, we are all waiting for the fulfillment of this offspring to come. Because when we lost separation with God, uh, we, when we had separation with God, we lost our source of joy, peace, and comfort. Because we were made to worship God and enjoy Him alone. 
a famous theologian from a long time ago. His name's Augustine. He famously quotes, speaking to God, because you have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You see, sin separates from God, but our ability to look for things to find rest in, look for things to desire, and look for things to worship, it remains. Why? Because that's what we were created for. We are meant to, we were meant to worship. But when sin came into the world, we started worshiping other things. We started worshiping not the creator, but created things. And we replaced our worship and desires for other things. Tim Keller, I mean, I don't know what, you know, other, a lot of people have different opinions about Tim Keller, but I think Tim Keller has a very helpful way for helping us understand this idea. I said this idea of worshiping something else is, worship, is idolatry, worshiping something else other than God. And I think he helps us categorize our idols by, by he categorizes it in four deeper idols. So what he sees is like our surface idols of like, you know, money and, and, and drugs and, you know, sex, whatever it is, he sees those as surface idols. And he helps us, I think it's helpful for him, uh, from him to let us know that there's deeper idols at play. And he says there's four major ones. The first one is power. Power is a longing for influence or recognition. The second one is control. And control is a longing to have everything go according to my plan. The third one is comfort. It's a longing for pleasure in, in various ways, whether it's socially, physically, whatever it may be. And the last one he says um, of our deeper idol is acceptance. And that is a longing to be accepted or desired. And so if those are true, all of us in our idolatry can be rooted back in those things. And sometimes our idols, many times our idols, are good things. We find acceptance, or sometimes we exercise our power in good things like family, good things like our jobs and our work, even money. Right? These are good things that God has gifted us. But when they replace God, and that's what we worship, what we find our identity in, where we find our control, our sense of power, our sense of acceptance, that's when everything goes haywire. And I'll be the first to admit that I, I know the Bible truth is, is real. I am a worshiper. I find myself worshiping every day. You know, we have a newborn, and her name's Alicia. I'm sure some of you guys know. Now, I don't worship her. I'm not going there. But I do find myself worshiping the idea of having a perfect family and raising the perfect kid or having a perfect marriage. See, those are good things, but when I start identifying and worshiping even good things and when it's not God, things are gone haywire. And if anything, if you're like me, those are just examples of just to show. Not, it's not just Simeon. It's not just Anna. It's not just Israel. We, as a creation, this is us fumbling through sin and waiting for something. We're waiting for something to be desired. And we look at all of these things, turn to all of these things to fill it. And even though they may satisfy for a moment, when it ends, like Christmas, we're left still waiting. See, none of these things give us ultimate joy because that is not what our hearts were made for. 
Like Simeon, our souls are desperately waiting for the consolation or comfort. And like Anna, we're waiting for redemption, for someone to save us from this broken life because of our sin. And more importantly, the brokenness in our own lives. Now, as bleak as that first point was, (laughs) the beautiful news of the gospel comes at the heels of bad news. And this is the good news. Our second point is, we don't have to wait anymore. You see, the Christmas story is that. The Christmas story is a story to remind us we do not have to wait anymore. If we look at Simeon's story, right, to briefly recap his story, he wasn't allowed to die. Now, some people are like, that sounds like good news to me, right? It can live forever. Well, if we look into it, he wasn't allowed to die And because he wasn't allowed to die, he was able to continue to see day to day the captivity of his people, the sins of himself and of others. And it's just the eating away of still having to wait. It was almost like a punishment to him. But you see, when he sees Jesus, Jesus comes into the temple and he lays eyes on him. The first thing he does is lift up this 40-day-old baby and thanks God and says, I can finally depart. And I think in a more modern way of saying it, that we're more used to is, I can die happy. And I don't know about you guys, that phrase, I normally hear, oh, I can die happy now. It's usually when I just finish like an amazing meal. Right? Or like I just came out of the spa. Not when I'm holding a 40-day-old baby. That's not even mine. Or at least I've never seen anyone hold a little infant and say, now I can die. But for Simeon, that rings true for him through and through. To him, he can die happy now. And I think it is an important thing to note, as small as a detail as it may be, that he is holding an actual human baby when he says this and he feels this. And he sees this baby and the first thing that's going through his mind is, I don't have to wait anymore. And we know this because he sees this baby and he says of this baby, I have seen your salvation. I have seen God's salvation. Why do I make it, why do I say that it's an important point, uh, point, important point that is an actual baby? The reason why it's an important point is that Simeon's joy is filled not with an idea, not with feeling, but because of a person. You see, the joy of the Christmas message that we hear from the songs and the movies, they want to emphasize good feelings. And sometimes I don't want to diminish things like family and being loved and and, and having a place to belong and getting presents. And, you know, there's the landscape of the serene, white, untouched snow, right? That's like Christmas. What a great feeling. And, of course, you need the chestnuts roasting and the hot chocolate and all that. What a great feeling. But the problem with the feeling is this. When Christmas ends, so does the feeling. So does the idea of it. That is not a good message for me. Maybe that's why we we dread the day for Christmas to come. It's almost like a love-hate thing. Best day of the year, but it also marks when it ends. That's an empty message. And that's not what the Christian, the biblical Christmas is about. But more importantly, 
that's not a message that we are waiting for and we desperately need. No, Simeon is able to experience great joy and can, can say, I can die happy. Because what he is waiting to be satisfied in him is in Jesus. And I love how his prayer goes on to say, it is not a satisfaction for me, but he says, and it's not just a satisfaction for Israel, as Brandon had read in his devotional. He actually says it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and, the Israel, and, and Israel. It's for all people. So it's not just Israel that is desperately waiting. As I mentioned, it's all people of all creation of all time are desperately waiting for Jesus to arrive. And when he does, both Simeon and Anna are rejoicing. Imagine a person who's stranded on an island and they get a little bottle and it says, hey, I know you're stranded. Like, you know, it's like it's going to know. I know you're stranded. Help is on its way. Like this person, day in and day out, even though they're waiting, even though they're experiencing troubles, being alone, being hungry, right, they're excited and they're waiting for the day that they're going to be saved. Imagine that person finally comes and imagine how joyous it is. But then imagine the next day, this person, he's no longer joyous. Right? It's almost as if that moment of waiting and being saved never even happened. If we take in the Christmas story and message that the world says it is, and we respond in sadness when it ends, it's just as ludicrous to forget our joy when the thing that we've been waiting for has finally arrived. Brothers and sisters, the end of Christmas may be sad, but our comfort is in this, that Jesus has come. Jesus has come. You know, right now it makes me think of how amazing it was to see the little ones, some of them not even knowing what they were singing, go tell it on the mountain. Like there was just maybe it's, it's the kid's voice that I'm hearing, but it's like that's the joy that we ought to have because that's the message of, of Christmas. Jesus has come. And so, brothers and sisters, this is true for us, for us today. You and I, I know your lives are hard. I know everyone goes through trouble, some more than others. But we don't have to wait anymore because Jesus has come even though Christmas has ended. And so my last point is this. If that is true, if we who are in rebellion towards God and one had nothing to do with him, worshiping other things, and God still in his grace loved us so much that he would send his only son because we wouldn't go to him, he would come to us. If that's good news to us, how ought we to respond? And I think this is where I... I, I saved Na- uh, Anna's narrative for last for a reason. See, Anna's narrative, unlike Simeon, is pretty short. She has three verses dedicated to her. Two of it is her backstory. And you almost think, like, was that necessary? Like, wh- why the detail of her backstory? Well, I think part of it is because Luke is trying to tell us that he's not trying to fabricate a good story. He's trying to tell us of a real woman who experienced real loss for 84 years 
and went to the temple every day. Now, the Bible doesn't say so, but we can only imagine what her prayers are about. 84 years without a husband. And I think it also alludes to that she never had kids. And in that society, it's not hard being a widow without any kids. And I just imagine the kinds of prayers that she has. I think the point of dedicating two verses to her backstory is to highlight the bad news, highlight the sorrow, to extend, you know, give, give emphasis on her waiting of a real woman. And I'm sure one of her prayers is for the Savior to come. And she's waiting for him. But what I love about the last verse, and we'll never hear it from Anna or Simeon again, but I love how in one verse, in a very brief and, and broad stroke way, the last verse dedicated to Anna, we see it and we almost read it as if this is a completely different story. We have two verses of bleakness and of darkness and of sorrow. And in one verse, we almost forget that this is who Anna was, that this is what she went through for 84 years. And her response to now she, has, she doesn't have to wait anymore, that now because Jesus has come, that one verse is marked with two responses that I think is the natural response for people who know that they don't have to wait anymore and that Jesus has finally come. And those two things are, the first thing she does is she gives thanks to God. She's grateful that God has answered his promise. And number two, she goes out into the temple courts and tells everyone about him. We're talking about a woman who's in destitute, a woman who is sorrowful, and, and isolating herself in the temple and compared to someone who is experiencing the most happiest time of their life and not staying in the temple and going out and telling people about him. The Bible doesn't say it, but I'm thinking what she is saying to them is, you don't have to wait anymore. And I think that should be the response for us as well. Now, Mercy Hill, we've only been here a couple months, and I will admit, my wife and I, our family, we, experience, we love worshiping with Mercy Hill. Because I think one of the things we do very well is to reflect on the gospel and to be thankful. We don't take it for granted. And I think we do a very good job of supporting one another and reminding each other of that gospel. But I think there's something that we could do better, and that is, if this is true joy for us, we ought to go out and share it with other people. Now, it might be a little bit awkward to go to my neighbor and say, you don't have to wait anymore. He might think I'm crazy. But for each of you, you have neighbors, you have loved ones who are still waiting. They're desperately desiring and waiting for Jesus. They may not believe so. They may disagree. But if we look at their lives and what they're worshiping and putting their money and their time is and stressing over, we know that they're worshipers. Why? Because they're humans like us. God has given us the grace and given us the good news, given us this wonderful news of Jesus Christ where we don't have to wait anymore. We have this treasure of knowing Jesus and being satisfied by him. I think God is asking us to share this treasure with other people because people around us are wandering around looking to other things because they're still waiting. 
And in conclusion, yes, Christmas has ended. Which means, this is something new to me coming into the suburbs. I see a lot of signs that says, keep Christ in Christmas. Right? And I think as Christians, yes, even though Christmas is over, we should keep Christ in Christmas. But I think it goes beyond that. I think what we need to reflect on as we listen to this message, even for me, as I hear this message, I've been convicted and comforted and compelled. Not just keep Christ in Christmas, but to keep Christ in our Christianity. And I think that's where the joy of the Christmas season can go on continuing in, not during the Christmas season alone, but throughout the calendar year. So my encouragement to you guys as we, go into, as we close this 2021, going into the new year, uh, and, and especially for the kids, uh, you know, I keep, I probably said Christmas is over maybe like 10 times already in the sermon. I hope that for everyone, not just for the kids, that our joy may continue to go on throughout this year and into the next. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word in which you have given to us. I pray that your word for us is clear to us, not only to our ears, but Father, may we continue to be transformed. Help us to understand the message of Christmas and to know that it is not only applied to the month of December, not even to 2022, but for us Christians who have been called, Father, the Christmas message is a message for our entire lives. We ask for your help. We ask for your spirit to guide us, to remind us. And also I pray, Lord, that you may use your church so that people may remind each other day in and day out so that we do not wait, that we do not, we do not sit here in sorrow still waiting, but to know that you have satisfied us by sending us your son and that we do not need to Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.